Well, good morning. I'm thankful to be here. I'm also thankful for another reason. Let me, uh, let me explain. Uh, went to my brother's 50th uh, birthday yesterday, and uh, it was a theme party, and the theme was pirates. And so, yes, I dressed up like a pirate. I was a benevolent pirate. Um, but as Barb was putting on the makeup around my eyes for the real effect, I'm thinking to myself, and I asked, does this stuff come off? Tomorrow morning I'm going to be... And so we, we call it an early evening and early night and got home and washed my face one time, looked, wasn't coming off. Washed it again, wasn't coming off. I am thankful for makeup remover because then I did the... the and I don't know how you women do this, but with the Q-tip over and over and over again. And so I'm thankful. I woke up this morning and looked and... Is gone. So I, I just I just wasn't sure how the Johnny Depp thing would go over from the pulpit. So so I'm thankful for that. Um, Pastor Neil has been really blessing us the last several weeks, talking about heaven. And like me, uh, I'm sure that you've been thinking a lot more about you know what awaits us when we leave this earth. And today's scripture is going to be more about what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we're here? Um, God's scripture clearly tells us that he expects us to be holy, to be holy. And, you know, a lot of the worship we heard this morning talked about being holy. And, and so we sing about it. We obviously read about it. But in our daily discussions, in our typical vernacular, we don't really use the word holy. And really, it's because um, it, it's, it's kind of a relic, kind of a dusty relic. And it, it, it conjures up pictures, in my mind, of, of monks, monasteries, and muse- museums. And it's, it's something that we don't really use a lot. So what I thought would be useful is to kind of bring it closer to home. And so what I'd like to do is use really um, the meaning of being holy, and that's, that's being separated to God, being separated to God. You know, while we're on this earth, while we're here, while we're in these bodies, we are never going to be perfectly holy. It just isn't going to happen. It's not possible. But the reality is, is that once we have been saved, once we become believers, then that process starts within us, and we start to become separated from that that sin that that resides within us and we become more and more separated to God. So this morning we're going to be looking at what's God's timing in terms of becoming separated to him. What's God's process? And then also what's God's provision for becoming separated to him? Being separated to God, being holy should absolutely be something that we are mindful of, that we're conscious of. As we read God's word, as we worship, we, we hear about how God is with us, how we're walking with him. That's that process. That's what we should be thinking about. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, because you are so faithful. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that it lays before us, Lord, that it lays before our minds and our hearts, Lord. Lord, that you command us to be holy, but Lord, as we will discuss this morning that you give us everything we need to do that, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just ready our hearts right now for what you would have for us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Uh, Before we jump into the passage, I'd like to give you a little bit of background about Thessalonians, Paul's letter, Paul's epistles to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital of the province of Macedonia. It was first a, a real big Greek city, was, was built by the Greeks, but then the Romans came in and it was a very important um, port entry um, for two major reasons. Because first, the location sat in, in what was really a gateway for Rome to, to then enter into the Orient. And seeing this, the Romans, being the road, road builders that they were, they built that famous road called the Ignatian Way. So this was a, a, a hustling, bustling place. And it really served to be not only big for commerce, but also a confluence of philosophy and religion. And back there, there wasn't a lot of differentiation or, or distinction between the philosophy and the religion. I mean, that was back when you had, you know, Socrates and Plato. And they talked about things that we think of as religious, things like, you know, life, life after death, God, the little gods. Um, and also their, their spiritual life there was, was ruled really by Greco-Roman and Egyptian cults. And then just to spice things up, um, there was also a sizable Jewish population there. And so this is the place in which Paul rolls in. Paul rolls into the city and he starts his church. He appoints elders. Um, he encourages the ministry to take root. And then in three short weeks, he's chased out of town. At night, he leaves before he's arrested. But what's interesting and what's beautiful through both of these books is that, that you can tell by the way that Paul is talking to them that this young church really um, got it. They listened to his teaching. And they were um, strong believers, strong in the faith. They loved one another. They loved other churches. In fact, Paul even says that they were examples to the other churches. And this was just with three weeks his spending with them. And that, that they were also persevering in great persecution. Paul desired and longed to get back to see them, but he was never able to do so. Um, one of the things he wanted to talk to them about and teach them about is is they're having a firmer grasp, a better grasp of when Jesus was going to come back for them. Um, the day of the Lord is a theme that goes throughout both of the books. And and we're going to touch on that a little bit. So, so at this point, why don't you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren... We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for a purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. 
So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Our passage starts with the word finally. And Paul is not finishing his first epistle. Rather, what he's doing is he's summing up the things that he had told the Thessalonians to do, that church there, how to live as believers, how to live as Christians. He's really summing up what he says in that last verse in chapter 3. And so let me point to that because that's what Paul is doing. He says that their hearts be without blame in holiness before God and the Father. And that's really where I get the, the title, being separated to God. That's where I, I tag in being holy. Let me go ahead and elaborate a little bit more on that definition. We said it's being separated to God. Let me just add to that a little bit. It says separated and devoted to the service of God in true moral purity. True moral purity. Paul tells them that at the back end of this verse, however, God's timing when we will become holy, separated to God. The back end of the verse says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So we're talking about God's timing here. And this is the part where, you know, Paul is, is, is continuing on his teaching. He's encouraging about when Jesus would return for them. This young church, remember, they hadn't really grasped that too well. Whether it was because they were young in the faith or because of false teachers, they, they, they were not dealing with this very well. They were thinking at, 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 at one point that those that had passed away before Jesus' return missed out. And then they were also thinking another time that, that Jesus had already come and they had missed it. But Paul is, is furthering that teaching. And he's telling them that there will be a day when you will be holy, you'll be holy and blameless before the Lord. So what does that look like? What can we expect? Well, Paul goes on. And using the word coming, when he says coming to our Lord Jesus, that Greek word coming is parousia. And it means presence. It means the coming, arrival, advent. And he uses it again in, in chapter 2, the same book, and then also later on in, in chapter 4. He says in 2.19, he says, Even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. And then he says, Who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord. Paul was making sure that they knew that Jesus was coming back for them. He's making sure that they knew that. And when he does, that they would be holy before their Savior. So God's timing, the very day that we see Jesus, the day that we enter into heaven, that'll be the day that we are completely separated to God. Completely separated to God. So let's look at God's process. God's process. In the beginning of this letter, he also talks about brethren. So his audience is fellow believers, Christians. And then he goes on to say in the same verse, in the Lord Jesus. And that's no small distinction. No, no, no small distinction at all. Because this is the first step. This is, this is where it all begins. Becoming holy. And that's being saved. Be, being saved in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, one of Paul's favorite ways to describe a Christian throughout his epistles is using the phrase, in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. 
Behold, the new things have come. Now, Alistair Begg, he's a senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland. He's also the host of a regular radio program on K-Wave called Truth for Life. He describes it this way. He says it's a big gate, describing this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a big gate on a very small hinge, very small hinge. That small hinge is that word if, if, if anyone is in Christ, because it's upon that hinge that that door opens up and all these other things start to take place in our lives, that the old starts to leave and the new starts to come, that, that, that sanctification starts to happen. Um, being in Christ means that we're relinquishing our rule and our reign to God. That's what that means. Being in Christ means that we now have the realization, we have that acute awareness, if you may, that, that sin is, is residing in us. And there are things that we have in our lives, things that we are doing that needs to, to be dealt with. And those things that will, and this change will go on forever and ever. Um, so when we read in verses 1 and 2, Paul really is, is pressing hard here. He says, look, I request, I exhort. And then he goes on to say, I sti- still excel even more. What he does is he also matches that up with the fact that you are in the Lord Jesus. He matches it up that you are under the authority of Jesus Christ. The second step in God's process is to receive and obey. Paul presses hard. He continues to press hard because he reinforces their faith. When he says that your walk and to walk and please God, and then he goes on to say, just as you actually do walk in today's vernacular, that's that means that they are on fire for Christ. They were they were doing the right things. And what he goes on to say is they were walking according to Paul's instruction. He had been teaching them and they had been listening and they had been putting into practice those things that he taught them. But even more importantly, he says that they were living in in obedience to the commandments that they received by the authority of the Lord. What this is is called the sanctification process. And here's a definition for you. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives, in our actual lives. Um, this is an interesting definition, and it, and it really begs for um, some clarification because in this definition, it talks about work, work being done spiritually within us, but then it talks about how God and man are involved in that work. So we need to make sure that we don't get off track here. We need to make sure that we realize that we believe completely in the doctrine of grace, that doctrine of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we hear it so often, for you've been saved by grace through faith, and this isn't even of yourself, but a gift from God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So we need to make sure we make that distinction. Another way of putting this is that um, we're talking about justification that takes place. And please bear with me, I've got another definition for you. The definition of justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. And number two, that he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Romans 3, 2 talks about this. He says, God justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Justification was accomplished the moment 
that you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Boom, done. Complete. That is our ticket to heaven. On the other hand, sanctification is a process, a progressive progress, a process between God and man. And this occurs over the span of your entire life. We just got done talking about when that'll be complete. So this process of changing will be through the span of our entire life. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are all being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So to understand, this is not the process. Sanctification is not the process that gets you to heaven. We don't get there through the process of sanctification. We're getting there because we've been justified in Christ. The work being done, that work between God and ourselves is obeying the things that he gives us. We have choices, obviously, as we read his word, as, as the Spirit speaks to our hearts, we have choices. Are we going to listen? Are we going to do those things? But here's the beauty also in this, is that, and Pastor Rob alluded to it also in his, in his presentation, that we have God's promise, God's promise that he is going to complete the sanctification process in us. We know that from Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus. Love the consistency there. Paul talks about that day that when we see God will be, will be holy, will be blameless. And he talks about it in Philippians 2. Until the day of Christ Jesus will be completed. So... God's sanctification is, number one, that process is that we start by being born again, by being a believer. Number two is that we receive and we obey his commandments. And number three, that we have faith that he is going to complete that work in us. So verses three through six, Paul puts his process in front of us in in practice. And he uses, he uses uh, really a contrast. And we'll see this. It's sort of like when we read Proverbs. Uh, an example, Proverbs 10, 16, the wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked bring them punishment. So we'll kind of see this, this, this contrast back and forth briefly here. Paul brings the sanctification process um, into focus by using the term sexual immorality. That's our subject matter. That's what he chose. And it's, it's no wonder why. We just talked about that city of Thessalonica, that confluence of philosophy and, and religion. And, and the fact of the matter is, is it was a place where um, there was no discipline whatsoever, certainly in the area of sexuality. And so sexuality there had really become more or less a religion. They talked about the temple prostitutes there, and that was acceptable. Um, I think we can look at our own society, our own culture, and we can see that sexuality has absolutely attained in so many ways the level of religion. And so just as it was a clear and present danger for this this young church, which really were primarily um, Gentiles that had come out of that society, we have to also be sensitive to that in our society. The first sign of being out of control, the first step of, uh, the first sign of being out of step with God is usually in the area of the flesh. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We stumble. 
the term sexual immorality was picked by Paul to cover, really in the broadest sense, the misuse, according to God's word, the gift that he gave us in in sex. Promiscuous living, adultery, fornication, and today we absolutely positively have to add pornography to that list. The implications are physical, mental, and spiritual. And Paul wanted to recognize that this was, a, this was still something that they need to be watchful of. He also wanted to make sure, using this broad term, that it wasn't just the men, but it was also the women that needed to be ready for that. Paul starts this, this contrast by talking about possessing your own vessel. Possessing your own vessel. Now, this is, this is typically a place where, where Pastor Neil says, look, I'm going to cross over from preaching to meddling. Well, um, I'm, I don't think I'm going to meddle too much, but we're going to deal with the scripture here, okay? Um, possessing your own vessel could have a couple meanings, a couple meanings. And the commentators, they, they kind of struggle on both of these. The first could be on an individual basis. Paul also also wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.21 that that he needed to make sure that that his life, his vessel, if it was going to be worthy to be used by God, would be be in purity and would be in honor. The second potential use of of possessing your own vessel is that he could flat out be telling him, look, go get married. Go get married in in a... uh, connecting verse would be 1 Corinthians 7, 9, where it says, let them marry for it is better for them to marry than to burn with passion. He needed to d- help deliver them from that clear and present danger of sexual immorality. I also believe that it's, I, I believe that it is tagging to marriage because the word possessed that's being used here is a g- Greek word called katomai. And that means to acquire, to get, to procure something for oneself. So I lean towards marriage as being the reason. I also believe that, that in, a, in a somewhat more subtle way is that Paul is using the institution of marriage to then demonstrate what it means to be separated. And in this case, being separated man and a woman to one another in, in the purity of marriage. And he talks about how you need, to, you need to do that in your marriage. It needs to be something that is held in high esteem. That is God's desire. In verse 5, Paul kind of starts the contrast that I talked about. Verse 4, we talked about sanctification and honor. Verse 5, he talks about the lustful passion. Lustful passion. And these are obviously glaring differences. But while they are, and there is a key contrast between honor and lust, there's another contrast that Paul draws out. And it's at the end of verse 5 where he talks about the fact that it is Gentiles that do not know God. We would, we would call them heathens, and that's really what he was talking about. Not knowing God, not knowing God was the issue here because not knowing God, they had no concept of what, what really God purposed for their lives, had no concept of, of the commandments, and absolutely had no power. And you know... On a side note, we deal with that all the time. We deal with that all the time. When we have friends or family or, or the Lord puts someone in our path that, that we know are dealing with, with some habitual sin, whatever it may be, and we want to 
come up beside them. We want to help them. So we, we go into the Word and we show them through God's Word, look, you know, this is not right. You need to stop this and do this. But here's what Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us that, that they don't know God. And until they become a believer, between, be, be, until they understand that, that Jesus, and they need Jesus, and he's, his savior, and he's their Savior, then it's, it's really no good. You need to come to them first with the gospel. It's the gospel that does that work. As we talked about before, that process, it's knowing God. It's, it's being a believer. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul continues on with the contrast um, between sanctification and honor. And he talks about the hazards of those that, that are harming others. Um, in particular, um, when he talks about um, harming others, he's, he's talking about adultery because that, that harms the other um, spouse. And he talks about you know, those that take advantage of others, that, that God would avenge that. Now, something key to note is he uses the word brothers. We talked about verse 1 where he used the word brethren. Brothers being used here by Paul is interesting because he's not talking about the fact that God is going to avenge the brethren. He's not going to avenge other Christians. He's talking about, in a general sense, mankind, that that those that do these things will be avenged. Because, And here's another, I think, clue to that. Paul goes on to say that he solemnly warned them when he was there teaching them. Remember that three-week period. And he was teaching them the gospel. And, and that at that point, he told them that, that unless you turn to God, unless you turn to his son, unless you become a believer, that the solemn warning was is that you would have to then take on God's wrath that he would avenge the sins. So this process of being separated requires us to know God and to obey. The last thing we're going to look at is God's provision. These last two verses conjured up some word pictures in in my mind from my past. Verse 7 talks about God's calling. God's calling. When I was in high school, there were evenings, nights really, that I would get home late and I would forget my key. You know, Rob knows sometimes I forget my key in my office and it's like, help, help. So, but back then what I did, rather than ring the doorbell or knock on the door because I didn't want to wake up my parents, I'd go around in the back. We had a two-story house and I would throw pebbles at my little brother's window. Well, you know, what are big brothers for? But to bother the little brother, right? Well, he would hear it and he would run downstairs and let me in. Well, that calling that Paul is talking about is that calling that goes on in our lives. God throwing those pebbles at our heart, waking us up. And it's when we receive that calling that we believe that that change takes place, as we've been talking about. And it affects, of course, the inside being in Christ. But the sanctification process that we've been talking about also should be changing you know, who we are on the outside. You know, we all run into people that claim to be Christians. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church and go, right on, you're my brother, you're my sister, and, and, you, and you just love to hear that. But the more time maybe you spend with them or you see them, you know, they, they act, smell, and look anything but a Christian. We know that God's Word tells us that we can't judge what's inside them. In James 4.12, it says there's only one lawgiver and judge, and that's God. We're... We're not to step on God's toes with regard to that. But 
But even though we can't see their heart, Paul is laying down what we, we would call maybe a litmus test because he says that God has called you to purity. He, was, he has called you to the sanctification and that we can see if this process is happening. And you know, as believers, we absolutely know what that looks like because it's been going on within us. You know, when you're young, you first come to the Lord, there's those, those big things that God is, is kind of moving out of your life, delivering you from. Remember that you're, he's separating you from that sin. And as we get older in the Lord, more mature, he's dealing with, with those, those subtle sins, like our attitudes, our motives. You know, are we loving others like we should? That process. So we know exactly what that looks like. I would say from this verse, if you are living in a place of habitual sin, just tagging on to Paul here, sexual uh, promiscuity. We have pornography that's prevalent in our, our society. I would say that you're on shaky ground, that your assurance is, is not so strong because do you have Christ? Did you accept when he was throwing those pebbles at your heart? Did you answer his calling? 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says this, Walk in a manner worthy of God's call to you. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, That our God may count you worthy of his calling. His calling. In verse 8, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, look, you know, if you want to deny all this, if you want to go the other way, if you want to live that way, then, hey, look, you're, you're not, you're not, it's no skin off my nose, really. It's, it's God who you're against. And he says, because God gave you his Holy Spirit. And this is the second word picture. Um, one of my early jobs, I worked night crew for a large grocery store. And um, night crew was great. You, you, you get in there, and this was before stores were open all night. So when the night crew was there, it was just us and just a bunch of stock. And we used to call it throwing stock because we would literally be so fast, we'd be throwing stock. But we had the radio cranked up, you know, over the PA system, you know, KLOS, KMET. Some of you might remember those stations. Yeah. Well, um, I made a change. When I got married, um, Barb wasn't going to really hang with that you know, 10 to 6 in the morning thing. So I went 4 to 1s. So I worked 4 in the morning to 1. And so um, I knew to be able to get into that store with all that music and as fast as those guys were working, I had to rap on these large pane windows with my keys. And that rapping on the window just like broadcasts a sound. And they would look up and they go, okay, Todd's here. You know, let's be nice this morning and, and let them in. And so that's the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit. He's rapping on the pain of our heart. He's wrapping in our heart when we're not doing the things that God has called us to do, when we're disobeying. Remember that process to, to receive that instruction and to obey. When we're not doing that, the Holy Spirit, if Christ is in you, is wrapping in your heart. John fourteen seventeen says this, the spirit of truth, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. John goes on to say in chapter 16, verse 8, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Can't, can't be in that habitual sin. Can't happen. When people talk to me and they say, well, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? First off, hey, I can't judge their heart, right? James. 
But the second thing is, is that, well, what, are the, what, are, what does their life look like? You know, are they, are they sleeping with their girlfriend? Are they living with their boyfriend? Um, you know, what are they doing in life? Big indication. God is faithful to complete that process in us. He completely separates us from that sin. And it's orchestrated the whole time by the Holy Spirit that he gave us. You know, Paul is famous for athletic word pictures. I love Paul for that. And he sums up what really is, is an end game for us in our lives in this process. Second Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's been in that process. He's been keeping the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Boom, I'm in heaven. I'm before my Savior. And he's got a crown of righteousness. That process has been completed, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And if you take away something this morning from this, I would like you to take away that, that the longing for his appearing. Because as you long for his appearing, you're going to see the work that he's doing in your life. You know, I talked about my brother's 50th birthday party and saw a lot of people that I haven't seen for a long time. Um, but there was a guy there that I haven't seen for a while. I said, so how are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, hey, um, I retired. He's, he was older than, than me. Um, <laughs> um, not that much, actually. But uh, he said, I retired. Yeah, things went on and, and I had an opportunity to retire. And he goes, yeah, and, and, and I spend most of my time out at the river. Bought a place right on the river and, you know, I bring my grandkids down there and stuff. And I thought, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I, you know, when you retire, man, awesome. But then he, he, he started to show me all of his pictures. And, and I was down with that. I'd like to see what was going on. But every picture... You know, it was about, you know, they're in the river, they're on the boat, they're doing this, they got the grandkids and all that. And, and that, like I said, that's fine. But you know what? I, I was thinking the whole time, isn't there more? Doesn't God have more for your life? He's spending all of his time, his last days. I mean, he's not that old, but he's, he's going to spend it just on the river, huh? And when we think about this process, we think about God you know, taking us to more. When Paul said, you know, excel to even more, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. I'm blessed to be in a place where I see men and women that, that are retired and are spending time here giving, serving the Lord in that process. I'm blessed by that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to complete this process, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would even right now, as we start to think about our lives, that you would make us completely aware of, of the work you're doing, Lord. And that we would, we would be longing for that day that this work would be completed within us. But that we would embrace this work that you're doing within us. Lord, that we would be receiving your word, receiving your instruction, and obeying it, Lord. Lord, I also pray for those that, for whatever reason, haven't, haven't received your calling. They don't know you yet. They are not even in that process yet, Lord. I pray for hearts that are in that place that would, that would open that window and let you in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.